All right, welcome back to the Middle Tech Podcast. It's an exciting episode for us because we are in a brand new studio in Awesome Inc. Awesome Inc's renovating half of the building. Logan here has been working hard on getting us a quality studio with Garrett and Keith and the whole team here. Yeah, so we just had this other side of Awesome Inc. Uh, renovated. It's looking really awesome right now. A lot of the, that credit needs to go to Maggie Colafello. She's uh, my right-hand girl, or I'm a, her right-hand man, probably more like. But uh, we've got this studio in here. It's got all the soundproofing stuff. It's got a, the big fancy microphones. It's eventually going to have a big monitor in it so we can uh, have it to use to edit video as well. Yeah, it's it's really nice. I hope the sound quality is even better than the past couple episodes. Yeah, we've had. tell everybody why this new side of the building is getting renovated. Give a shout out to like what's coming. Yeah, so we're just we're just growing. Basically, uh, we've got a bunch of private offices. Uh, a lot of the people who were just using our co working space have now grown enough to move into their own private offices, which is really exciting. That's what we're all about. So we've got uh, got a, a new space for, to host, host events. Um, some private offices here, and even more co working space than we had before. Yeah, so this past weekend, uh, we were here for Startup Weekend, which was awesome. We took an idea through, um, and there were all kinds of great ideas. Um, I think you probably know better than I do what it takes to kind of pull that off. Talk about what you've seen from the Awesome Inc. team for pulling off an event like Startup Weekend and what goes into that. Yeah, so this week has been a grind, honestly. Uh, Global Entrepreneurship Week, you know, Awesome Inc. is kind of at the center of technology and entrepreneurship in Lexington, so we've obviously had a big hand. And a lot of the events that's gone on. So that's started off. Uh, the biggest event for us was the Entrepreneur Hall of Fame. And man, shout out to the entire team for that. That took a lot of planning. We had about 520 people there. Um, two of our past guests got recognized there Jonathan Webb uh, with App Harvest and uh, Demetrius Gray with uh, Weather Check. Got to talk to both of them for a little bit. They both got recognized as emerging entrepreneur uh, for 2019, which is a, a really big deal. And, uh, Jonathan gave a really moving speech. Actually, both Jonathan and Demetrius, shout out to both you guys. If you if you ever listen to this, you guys killed it with the speeches. I know Jonathan's dad got all emotional, and I was sitting there looking at him, looking at Jonathan, <laughs> like, oh, my God, this is pretty moving. <laughs> but, uh, no, man, it was it was awesome. Got the inductees, man, just crazy how much they've accomplished here in the state of Kentucky, and we're all super proud of that. But back to your question about Startup Weekend, there's just a lot that goes into that. And what we were kind of talking about today in our follow-up meeting is we like to facilitate organized chaos. So, you know, we like it that everyone just kind of takes the chairs and desks where they want them. Uh, yeah, it gets messy. Food gets brought everywhere. And I think I, I heard someone say they stayed until 3.30 in the morning. And that's that's kind of what it's about. It's just, uh, you know, there's nothing clean and organized about starting a company. And Startup Weekend is just, it's the it's the epitome of that. Yeah. So it was, it was a lot of fun. We made a lot of progress, met a lot of people, built some relationships. About exactly yeah. what it's supposed to be. It was cool to see so many people do it, but it was also cool to see like such a diverse group of people do it because it's like there were young children, there were old adults, there were just like a whole mix of just people working on these ideas together. It was cool to see. Um, so yeah, shout out to you know Awesome Inc for putting that together. Um, but let's get to you know today's episode. Um, we've got an awesome guest. His name's Don Skaggs. He's done some amazing things throughout his career, especially around physical products. So we wanted to get him on. A lot of my friends and just a lot of people in general that you know we've talked to in the community are not necessarily software people. They're not necessarily working on software. They're working on you know physical products, whether it's some kind of toy or some kind of uh, you know paraphernalia for you know smoking marijuana. I mean, it's just all kinds of things, right? So it's like you got to be able to take an idea from the early stages, whether it's software or not, and grow it into a company. And Don, throughout your career, you've you've been doing that. So thanks for joining us today. Well, thanks, guys. Thanks for having me. I'm yeah, absolutely. So you and I first met when I had a friend who was working on a product, uh, like I said, actually in the marijuana space. Yeah, uh, yeah and I remember It was a great that. idea. Yeah. Um, and what we're going to talk about is just kind of you know what it takes to take a physical product and move it throughout you know the life cycle of only not only the product but building a company around it 
Mm-hmm. But before we get to that, um, talk about you know your background, where'd you grow up, and catch us up to where you are now in your career. So walk sure. us through that. Sure. Um, <clears throat> my background, um, or my backstory, I guess, uh, serial inventor, serial entrepreneur, um, actually started a company, uh, and this is going to tell on how old I am probably, but uh, uh, back in the early 90s. Uh, actually started, bootstrapped a company out of a farmhouse in eastern Kentucky. Now, grew up in Louisville, was born in eastern Kentucky, grew up in Louisville, uh, so th- that's why I don't seem to have the you know, typical eastern Kentucky accent. <laughs> so. um, but anyway, I, um, we bootstrapped it. We, made, uh, uh, we were going to make uh, a physical product. We were going to make specialty products for the pathology laboratory industry, and we did that. Uh, we didn't stay in the farmhouse long, grew out of it, uh, turned it into a factory with employees, uh, sold to hospitals and labs all over the country. Our uh, claim to fame, we had probably about 150 products when we were done, uh, when, we, when we sold the company. Uh, but uh, probably our, our, our big flagship products were a, uh, a, a neutralizer for waste formaldehyde solutions. You're saying, you know, you know okay, who, who would want something like that? Well, our claim to our uh, product would actually irreversibly change formaldehyde to 100% non-toxic material in less than 15 minutes. And the reason that was important was that in hospitals and labs in the early 90s, the dirty little secret before that was there's a part of the laboratory medical lab that actually uh, deals with a lot of formaldehyde solutions. And beforehand, before the 90s, they were kind of just pouring that down the drain. And uh, so we came out with a product that would turn it into something completely non-toxic, 100% irreversible, uh, and we sold it to hospitals and labs all over the country. And uh, so grew it 23 years, had a, an exit in 2014, sold it to a company out in Texas. <clears throat> and about 10 years before my um, uh, uh, the, our exit with the company, uh, I had been working with a small nonprofit organization that helped inventors and entrepreneurs because that was kind of, you know, what I did. And um, I really found after I sold the company, you know, you always have kind of one of this, one of these what's next for me moments. And my what's next for me moment was where does my passions and my talents really intersect? And where I found that was with helping inventors and entrepreneurs. And that's when we, we rebooted the organization. We became the Inventors Network Kentucky. Uh, uh, we uh, uh, had a new website, kyinventors.org, and, and grew it into something that was not just regional, but actually uh, now an organization that just reaches out to everyone, inventors and entrepreneurs all over the state of Kentucky, and now we're even bringing in people from uh, beyond Kentucky through a lot of our online stuff. That's awesome. Yeah, it's, it's awesome to hear somebody take that great experience and just throw it back into the ecosystem to help everybody else. Yeah, that's what we want to hear. Love it. <laughs> yeah. So let's, um, before we talk about any kind of bootstrapping, um, which, you know, is obviously a big part of you know, your experience, let's just go through actually some of the things that it takes to grow a, you know, a physical product, a business that's based around a physical product. So, you know, what separates a business that's grown around a, a physical product from software? What are some of the high level, let's talk about it, high level that separates, you know, a physical product business from, you know, maybe software? And it, it's kind of funny because, you know, I, my whole experience has been with physical products. Now, although there, there have been a lot of projects I've worked on that have had software elements. Actually, I'm working with a startup right now, and it's a very, very physical, hands-on, tactile product. Uh, but there is a very large uh, AI component to it, a software component to it, front end, back end, you know, all of that. And um, I think when you're just doing the software, um, I don't know. I, I don't. I really don't know if it's that much harder. And it. it I think a lot of it falls to experience. Um, for instance, uh, we were looking for a um, uh, with one uh, particular. Well, it was the the aforementioned startup. We were looking for a certain kind of foam, and uh, so you know, I I didn't know anything different than just to start contacting people, uh, uh, connecting with people on LinkedIn that were in that industry. I didn't know anything about foam uh, uh, b- uh, before we started working on this project. And I, I, I'll bet you we got a room now full of foam samples that we, that we tried. And, you know, a lot of in- inventors, entrepreneurs, they, you know, the first thing they want to ru- do is rush out and spend a bunch of money. They want to run out, oh, let me buy some samples here. Let me buy some of this there. And, you know, I just picked up the phone and talked to people. At one point, 
Uh, there was a, uh, a company for uh, um, actually a, uh, a foam cushion company. And if I said the name, you, you, most people I think listening to this will probably know the name. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I wound up a half hour talking to him uh, on the phone, the, uh, the director of uh, innovation for that, uh, this large cushioning company uh, that um, and just got to pick his brain for free. Half and now you know some people can like you know they'll they'll go out and they'll spend money with uh, you know experts and consultants and all this and and you know there's a lot of good things out there you can get like that but you'd be amazed what you can get for free if you if you just uh, you know make the connection on LinkedIn pick up the phone and actually talk to people um, so physical and kind of circling back to physical products I don't see a huge um, uh, yeah, I think a lot of people get, especially people that are familiar with the software par- uh, part of it, I think a lot of times they don't realize how easy it can be to build a physical product. But mm-hmm. you just, yeah, I, I think it's more of a mind sh- uh, mindset shift than it actually is. Um, uh, is That makes sense. Yeah. It's still just a learning. It's always going to be a learning experience. Right, That's right. what being an entrepreneur is. If, is. if I got thrown out of uh, hardware products and into software products, I would feel as lost probably as the person who's doing software that gets thrown into a hardware product. Yeah. Makes sense. The learning aspect's never going to go away. No matter what type of product it is, it's it, always going to be there. Exactly. Yeah. Um, I, I know one, one um, uh, inventor I'm working with right now, and uh, it wasn't a toy product, but his product would have some of the same functionalities as a toy. And so I got him connected to a guy that used to work at Hasbro. Uh, the guy's name was Bob. And it's funny, you know, after that, we just kept referring to him as Hasbro Bob. Uh, hmm. Oh, Hasbro Bob called today. And, 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 I mean, he had all these connections and he had all of these, uh, you know, it's like it was nothing to him to build and have this made, uh, uh, to get it designed for manufacturing and, and, and scale it up. Yeah. Uh, but the guy going into it, you know, it was a big, scary thing. Yeah. So learning connections, both the same yeah. physical product software. Talk Absolutely. about what are some maybe different stages though, when it comes to a physical product, you know, maybe there's patenting there's obviously an oh sure you know talk about some of the different stages that are unique to physical products and what i'll see with a lot of inventors and entrepreneurs is that they get these stages out of order a lot of um inventors especially and you know they've they've watched a lot of shark tank they've (laughs) they've you know their their whole education is basically watching shark tank and uh infomercials on tv and they uh they'll end up getting these the first thing they want to do is rush out and get a patent and uh they they want to end up spending you know ten thousand dollars with an attorney and and i've seen some really sad stories with that i have actually seen um there's there's actually two big mistakes you can make with uh with getting your steps out of order and and one is is that you have kind of a toss the keys approach and it's uh, and a lot of these people unfortunately fall victim to what we know in the industry as inventor scam companies, and that's the ones that'll advertise on TV and radio. Um, uh, I, I and and I, I don't like to name the names because I, I don't think I want I'd want to get sued <laughs> <laughs> by a lot of these guys. Uh, but uh, you'll you, and you know there I, I do know some inv- inventors that will actually try to point and say, okay, this one's bad, this one's good. And what I like to do is I always say, you know, if you, uh, you'll, you'll, you'll know the tree by its fruits. You, you'll, you'll know uh, who, what a company is out of how it's, how it's behaving. Mm-hmm. And, and you do that by, you know, getting with other people and other like-minded people. And, and that's why I like our organizations because you can, uh, you, can, you can divert from a lot of mistakes of, of, of missteps. And, and, and back to the part about uh, uh, just rushing out first and getting a patent. And, and I've seen two, I've seen two uh, tracks people will take. One is, is they'll be afraid to get a patent because it's a big, scary step. And actually, with a lot of these steps, you end up, you, you end up stopping. You, you end up getting, well, number one, you, you, you jump headlong usually into the step you are the most comfortable in. 
And it's like some for some people, especially the engineering types, they love to just go tinker in the garage. Yeah. And they'll go and tinker. And and again, I've just I've heard some sad stories of, of uh, I know of one one story of a uh, a person I know her uh, her next door neighbor was an inventor, and he she didn't even know he's an inventor, and he had been perfecting quote unquote his prototype in his garage for ten solid years. Now the technology. The marketplace, the idea, everything had passed him by in those ten years. But he was just—he was—he he just had to work on it just a little bit longer. Uh, but if you kind of dig down, kind of behind everything on that, you find out that the um, what did he? What he's done is he has found his comfort zone. Oh, I like to tinker. I like, and 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 you have to take that next step but usually that next step for a lot of inventors out of the the comfort zone step is a big scary one maybe it's patenting maybe it is building a prototype maybe you you know you could draw it you can write it all day long maybe you can draw it down on paper paper all day long but the but it's but it's scary to have to build it everybody's got a, a big scary next step and that's where i see a lot of inventors and entrepreneurs stop get stuck in that one thing it's like a washing machine that's stuck in one cycle yep. and it just keeps going and going yep yeah i've got you know friends that are in that same situation yep. <laughs> you know, this is always one thing that they can't get past and they never do and then they end mm -hmm. up you know just getting comfortable like yeah. you said yeah and they don't they don't grow personally and that's you know we keep saying you know learning meeting people two big parts of entrepreneurship but add to the list overcoming fears yeah. you know Breaking through those Ab fears. Absolutely. So you said that that's one track you've seen that's unfortunate. You know, was there another one? The other is where they are so afraid that someone's going to steal their idea that they rush out and uh, first thing they have to do is they'll go they'll go knock on that uh, uh, attorney's door and they'll they'll say here let me write you a blind check just make me a patent. Well, what do you have? Well, well here's a here's a napkin sketch. Oh, okay. Now, and I always use the analogy of the grocery store. If you go to the grocery store, they will give you a shopping cart. And you can put as many things as you want inside of that shopping cart. And when you go to the checkout, guess what? They will sell you every item in that cart. <laughs> there is no difference with an attorney. Yeah. I mean, good ones and bad ones, it doesn't matter. They will sell you services. And you can go to an attorney that's used to charging large companies that have a lot of money. And you can be an independent inventor and not have a lot of money and go in there and spend all of your money up front on a patent for an idea you have n absolutely no clue whether it's really going to make any money, wh whether anybody even wants it or not. Yeah. And there are, there are really, really smart strategies you can take. There's the, uh, uh, you know, I always advise inventors to, uh, uh, to do, to, to do a pr what's called a provisional patent. And if you can learn it, let's say you really need to bootstrap. And I know I'll keep circling back to this bootstrap thing because it's kind of we'll kind of my go-to yeah, place. Yeah. But uh, but you can actually you can you can learn to write one yourself, a provisional patent. There has there's no claims on a provisional patent. And right now it's for seventy dollars. If you are, uh, learn to become savvy enough for seventy dollars, you can file a provisional patent. Now what that does is that holds your foot in the door for one year to answer one question. Will it sell? Do I have a market? Is this going to be a real product that's going to turn into a, you know, a real sellable product or business? And the other thing that I tell people, and this is, again, this is, goes back to the steps. This is where they get the steps so out of order, is they'll rush and do that first, and they won't do any preparatory steps to be able to answer that question. Because, you know, number one, you have to build a, a, a prototype. And I talk about the prototype in two different steps. Uh, I talk about um, the, the you know, there's not just one prototype, and that's what a lot of people think. I had, I had a guy come to one of our workshops one time, and he said, uh, he said, Don, I've got somebody that's going to build me a prototype, and he's only going to charge me $4,000. And I looked at him, and I said, I am begging you, do not spend $4,000 <laughs> on your first prototype, because the first thing it's going to do is fail. Yeah. And then you're going to have to build it again. How many times do you want to spend that $4,000? So that's why, I mean, I've, I've tried to create two new words for prototypes. One is that first one, and I call it the Franken-type. That's yeah. where you have you've snuck out to the graveyard of broken products and spare parts. You've used glue sticks and duct tape. The end result is a product that only an inventor could love. 
that you've taken that first important step of inventing the right way. You've built it, you've proven that it works, and you haven't spent a lot of money because that thing's going to break. You're going to look at it the first time you build it. And, you know, a lot of people apply this cartoon logic to real products. And they'll say, well, it worked in my head or it worked when I drew it, but it's not working as a real product. And they think, huh, I didn't know it was going to do that. Or, huh, I didn't know it was going to do that. And then they'll have to break it and rebuild it. How many times do you want to do that? If you're using glue sticks and duct tape, guess what? You can keep doing that a lot until you get it humming. And then once it's working, once it's humming, then you move to another kind of prototype I call the demo type. And that's, that's the one that's prettied up. The, the, uh, the Franken type proves to you that it really will work. The demo type proves to other people that it's going to really work. That's the one you, you're, it's prettied up and, and, and you can show it. You can put it in a video. There's lots of ways you to do it. And, and somewhere along that point, that's when you file that provisional patent. And so that, because that 12 months of a provisional patent uh, is the 12 fastest months of your life. Yeah. I, I see so many inventors, they'll rush. Oh, I'm afraid someone's going to steal this. Don, somebody, so I, I just know somebody's going to steal this. Uh, somebody else is going to think this up and beat me to the patent office. That's what they're always afraid of. And I always try to temper that, and, and I'm sure somebody's going to prove me wrong with this at, at some point. There's going to be some exception to this rule, but I, but I think this is basically true. And I, I one thing I believe is, well, one thing I can tell you from experience is that I have never had an idea or even a product um, uh, get copied until it started making a lot of money. Now, when it started making a lot of money, then everybody wanted to be my wanted to have my product. Everybody wanted to copy it. But before that, nobody cared. Yeah. Usually. Yeah. I, mean, <laughs> I uh, so I had a friend, and we were trying to talk about it earlier who had this brilliant product idea. It's still a brilliant idea, and one day I hope he does it. And I was helping him as much as I could. And, um, you know, I had some experience with the problem that he was talking about the product solved. And, um, you know, we were working on it. And I remember we, the first thing we did was we got some Play-Doh. We went to Target <laughs> and we got some Play-Doh. And Good idea. Modeled it out. So there's your, you know, glue sticks and just whatever you can mm -hmm. find to, you know, put something together. And we, we put that together and we put it on our table <clears throat> and we started using it just like we would imagine using the finished product. And we took it to the next stage, and we actually found a 3D printer in town. Went to him and showed him the designs, and he helped us design it into the specs we wanted, and then we 3D printed w one version of it. Yep. The first version of kind of, um, you know, kind of a well-put-together, you know, demo product. Um, took that back to the house and, and thought, well, it needed to weigh more. And so we took that and got some concrete and then filled it with concrete because it was a hollowed-out 3D printed object. And we put that on our, on our table, and it weighed what we wanted, and it kind of looked similar to what we wanted. And then we started using it, noticed a few other you know, flaws. And then from that point to where we you know, it actually ended up ending our, you know, the process was we had about seven different iterations on the prototype. Mm -hmm. All 3D Absolutely. prints, filling it with different things, mm -hmm. making it feel different, putting, putting certain materials on it that were different, changing the size of the holes. We went through this whole process, and it was a great learning experience. Um, so what you described there, you know, obviously made yeah. a ton of sense, at least yeah. to me, because I've, you know, been through that. But like I said, once we got to the patent phase, the team kind of, <laughs> well, for, I didn't have, to, I didn't have the time to, you know, really focus on it. It was my friend's idea. Mm -hmm. But once we got to that patent phase, yeah. it, we froze. Fear will paralyze you. And, you know, I, I and that's another thing I, I tell a lot of inventors, don't let fear drive your decisions. Yeah. And, and again, that's where I'll see these two paths that I'll see inventors and entrepreneurs take. And one is they will, um, they'll be afraid to move forward because it's a big, scary step. Yeah. And the other ones is they move too fast, like I was saying before, in the wrong directions yeah. too early. And that's uh, because they're afraid somebody's going to steal it. Yeah, I but felt like we had way, a good pace. Either way, fear just messes you all up. Yeah, I feel like we had a pretty good pace. It's just, you know, people lost interest. It was a weird time in our lives. Yeah. It was like right when we graduated college, <laughs> everybody's trying to figure out what they want to do with cool. their lives. And, you know, to go into a physical product, and it was the marijuana industry. Yeah. And to yeah. go into that right now after college, you know, something that, you know, we didn't, you know, weren't sure that we wanted to do. Um, cool. So... One of the things that we started discussing was, you know, how do we manufacture this thing? Mm -hmm. um, so once somebody gets a prototype, maybe once they get a patent, once they start wanting to get this in people's hands and start selling it, obviously they've got to manufacture this thing. 
Um, so how should people think about manufacturing their first versions of a product? Well, number one, you have to, and, and, and you'll hear this a lot in different places, uh, design for manufacturability. If, if you can make one, uh, and, but you can't make 100,000, then you can, get, you can get a lot of trouble fast, uh, uh, especially if you're jumping headlong into, um, if, if you have, in, and again, I like things that are scalable. I, I like products that are scalable. With our products in the uh, laboratory, a lot of it, and, and my, my wife used to um, uh, joke about this all the time. She says, all you sell is liquid in a bottle. <laughs> and and it, it was pretty much that was it. It was a lot of, a lot of it was chemical-based, a lot of chemical products. And uh, I, I probably know way too much about containers than most people should <laughs> just because I had to deal with a lot of them. Uh, but... Um, uh, your, your 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 standard milk jug bottle, by the way, is thirty eight four hundred. That that's the uh, uh, that's the size in the, in the industry. So again, useless information that uh, only people in container industry would know. But uh, but what I liked about these liquid products is I could make a quart of this stuff. I could make a hundred gal a hundred gallons of this stuff. I could make a hundred thousand gallons of this stuff. Yeah. Uh, it was very very scalable, and I like scalable products, especially for again those 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 startups, those entrepreneurs. Uh, if you have to jump from just making one prototype to oh now we have to get molds that uh, where we have to have a hundred where we have to make a hundred thousand of these where we have to make ten thousand of these. Uh, again, just the expense, and let's say, um, and that, and that kind of, and again, a lot of this circles back, and that's why I like doing steps in in a certain order, and and we actually have a number of steps that we that we teach, and we call them idea steps, and you know you you start by picking the right product, and 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 you know you go through all these iterations, and then you know the the Franken type and the demo type, but even with a demo type, remember I, I talked about the Franken type, it's going to fail. When you do the demo type and you take it out into the uh, public and, and, and out there, you're learning another thing. It's going to fail again. And it's yeah. not going to fail because of functionality. It's going to fail because of customer acceptance. Uh, customers are going to look at it and they're going to say, well, I really wouldn't care for that part over there. But, you know, if it had this, I'd probably buy, pay more for it. Uh, and, you you know, you, you go to places and you, you try to get – and aggregate, and they don't even have to be big places. I've seen a lot of, uh, or talked with a lot of people who are in the uh, as seen on TV industry uh, recently, and they said, you know, we used to test products. We used to take products and like test them with hundreds of thousands of people in an audience, and said now we'll take them to small venues, and said we have learned that the results we're getting from these small venues, take it to a craft fair or some other place like that have been just as valid as the 100,000 uh, uh, test cases we've been doing, except we're not having to spend that much money. And when I heard that, I, I immediately just this bell went off in my head because I thought this is something that uh, inventors, entrepreneurs, and startups can use because you can build, and again, this comes back to scaling. If you can scale, if you can make, if you can find, and, and, and again, this goes back to picking the right idea. Um, I, you know, I, I'll have a lot of inventors that will come into me and they'll say, Don, I've just got so many ideas. I don't know which one to work on. And, uh, and it's funny. I'll have some that will just come in with one idea. And by, you know, by the time they've been there six months and been around other inventors, you know, six months later, they've got a hundred ideas. Yeah. And I always tell them, I think, well, you just, just think about it as this really tall tree. And this tall tree has fruit from the top to the bottom. But you have a ladder and this ladder is only so high. So you have to pick the fruit you can reach. There you go, low-hanging fruit. You have to pick that first. If you can pick that first and get ROI from that, guess what? Now you can go buy a bigger ladder and go reach the other fruit. So that's why I, I like uh, inventors and entrepreneurs to pick products that are scalable. Yeah. That where they can maybe you can make a hundred and test it. Maybe you can make a thousand. That you know all of a sudden not only are are, are you validating your market, but now you can you can actually get ROI from that and take that cash and maybe if you do need to buy uh, maybe some specialized. I love the word COTS. C O T S. It's it's a military term. It's called it stands for components off the shelf. 
and I have seen more. I, I, I'm thinking of one right now, and, and I can't even tell you what it is yet, but uh, it's a really cool product that has absolutely nothing to do with hot tubs. But we found a little component that's hid away inside of a hot tub that is used in a hot tub. Nobody even knows what it is. Or if, you, if you bought a hot tub, if you own a hot tub, you, you wouldn't even know you had it in there because it's, it's an invisible product. It's, it's embedded deep down in there. But it was the perfect thing. And he was trying to, like, you know, get molds made and do all this. And I'm, and, and I'm, and I'm thinking, no, this exact product exists right here. You just have to hunt and you just have to find it. Sometimes you have to modify it. But you can make that into a very scalable product. Yeah. yeah. You know, talking about the scalability piece, the, in my, my experience is mostly software. And the exact same thing applies yep. to software. If you're building Absolutely. a software that takes a lot of consulting or takes a lot of you know, labor from people that might be doing um, you know, project management or customer service on actually getting a result from the software that people want, Mm -hmm. You know, it's not as scalable as something that's much more self-service and easy to use and doesn't require that, you know, consulting. And so there's definitely some overlap, and that makes a ton of sense to, you know, find the things that are scalable. Absolutely. Especially when it comes to manufacturing. Because when you start paying for the manufacturing, if it's not scalable, it's going to be expensive. Oh, the, the, the cost can wipe you out. Yeah, totally. Um, so let's get to the bootstrapping part, which is mm -hmm. obviously something that you've done and you're excited to talk about. Very and dear and dear to my yes. heart. <laughs> so let's um, let's jump to that. What sure. does it mean to bootstrap? Uh, bootstrapping is using uh, basically your own resources and your own ingenuity. Yeah. And, and you'd be amazed, again, at just what you can do. Uh, if, if you, and a lot of people, they just, they don't think, and here's another thing goes back to the, to the whole, I'm afraid to take that next step thing. A lot of times inventors and entrepreneurs don't take the first step because they're afraid they don't have the resources to do it. I have seen inventors and entrepreneurs become very successful with much less than the ones that have, they start out with a whole bunch of money. Because sometimes even too much money up front can actually get in the way. Oh, totally. I've been, I've uh, experienced that. Yeah, yeah, and, and I, I've, I've seen it. Uh, I always say you put three things into a, a, a product or a startup. You put your time, you put money, but you put this third element, this this uh, uh, intangible element, but very important element called wisdom. And if you don't have the wisdom first, and I don't care if you are a nine billion dollar multinational corporation or you're a one-person micro-business working out of his garage, I have seen both make the same exact boneheaded mistake where they take where they take all their time and all their money and they pour it down a hole because they didn't acquire the wisdom first. Because mm -hmm. if you don't acquire the wisdom first, guess what? You won't know where to spend the time and the money right yeah, in the correct place. Yeah, that's 100% right. Yeah. And I would, I, would, I would swap out, in my personal experience, the word wisdom with data. Yeah, data from yeah. the market. Right? Yeah. So it's like, if you don't have the data from the market to know where to invest the money to invest into what features of the product mm -hmm. are people wanting most, yeah. right. what parts of the team do we need to scale at this mm -hmm. time, if you don't have the data to know that and you yeah. just raise money and just deploy that money, it's not going to yeah. work. Yeah, you, right? you're like, well, let's let's take a wild guess and let's go to the gambling table and pluck it all down on red because that's a pretty color. and. And see what happens, and what usually happens is you lose your money. Yeah. Um, in your own personal experience, what's the hardest part of, of bootstrapping? <sighs> the hardest part of bootstrapping, I, I would say here again, just kind of getting over the, getting over those rough spots. Mm -hmm. um, you know, everybody always sees the successful entrepreneur, the successful business person, at the end where they've been successful. But they don't see the pile of mistakes and failures, and 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 just all these you know, get, you know the mornings they got up and they just didn't think they thought okay why in the world am I even doing this, and they self doubt don't, they, 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 yeah they don't see that yeah. and and um, you know I, I heard somebody say one time he said I we're, I wasn't really successful I'm just standing on a very large pile of failures that I survived. And, and it's very true. I, I, it, it, you know, I always hear people saying, well, you know, you need to fail, you need to fail. 
And, and I always want to temper that with, yes, you do need to fail because, again, that wisdom comes from usually two places, either the learning from the mistakes you made or uh, learning from others who have made those mistakes so you didn't have to. And uh, you can, when you're using that wisdom in that case, then you, when you're getting ready to take a risk, you have to ask yourself one question, and that is, will this kill us? Will this kill the business? Will this, will this ruin everything? Will this, and you have to decide if, if I can survive this failure, then I can take this risk. Yeah. Um, talk about, you know, resources for bootstrapping. You talked about, you know, usually you use, you use your own capital, Mm -hmm. you use your own, maybe equipment. Yep. Talk about some resources out in the world that people might be able to use to bootstrap. LinkedIn is, uh, you know, I, I know a lot of people that are, you know, they're, they're big Instagram, uh, uh, Twitter, Facebook. They're on all the, all the usual suspects. And then I'll ask them, I'll say, well, you're on LinkedIn. Well, I think I might have signed up one time. I, I don't really. And, and I'm thinking, you're, if you want to get into business, yes. this is the I could is talk about this for hours. <laughs> LinkedIn <laughs> is something that not enough people are taking advantage of right now. Absolutely. I mean, I think most people look at it and they think of it as a job recruiting site. And no. it is it has never looked like a job recruiting site to me because I've always worked for myself. <laughs> and and, and uh, I, it's just... It's an absolute, uh, just fantastic resource for connecting with people. Yes. Uh, yeah. You know, you pick up the phone. You're going to get voicemail. You're not going to get a, your a phone answered. You're just going to get kind of turned away. And and networking's great. Um, and you can go to a lot of things. And I think you should do those things. But sooner or later, you run out of time. You run out of you. Uh, LinkedIn is just a really really good way. Um, to, to kind of just dig down. Um, we were, uh, uh, I was going to say we were looking for somebody today and uh, in a certain industry. And I, I, I got to look up the company on LinkedIn and I got to look up, uh, oh, look, there's X number of employees. So now I know kind of how big the company is just from the number of employees. Uh, and then I get to see who all those employees are. Yeah. And then I see, oh, okay, well, here's the people, here are the key people I'm looking for. Well, look, they're connected to somebody I know already. And, you know, in, I have had more real good conference calls, uh, just serious conference calls of companies that are very, very interested in partnering and collaborating with maybe one of my clients uh, uh, due to an initial contact on LinkedIn. Yeah, I could talk, like I said, in hours yeah. about LinkedIn, but a couple of things with LinkedIn with me is, first of all, my career wouldn't be where it is without LinkedIn, because first of all, I, I do sales. So right. it's like, oh, yes. I live on LinkedIn, finding people, looking at how mm -hmm. big companies are, looking at who they're connected with, and right. that's my first you know, research is, who do I need to reach out to, and I'm gonna be using LinkedIn. But in my personal life, I also wouldn't be where I am, because I probably, over the last year and a half average, meeting people in person and getting coffee, probably once or twice a week yep. of people I'd meet on LinkedIn mm -hmm. and just say, hey, you know, I respect what you're doing. I'm trying to learn what you're doing as well. Let's get coffee. And I probably do that once or twice a week. Yep. And, you know, building this podcast, almost every one of our guests has come from me just reaching out on LinkedIn and saying, hey, you know, let's get coffee. I want to get to know you first. And I don't even mention the podcast. I just yep. want to learn from you. I, want, I respect what you're doing. I might be able to provide some value as well. Mm -hmm. And then the podcast, you know, comes. Yep. So it's like... People don't understand that reaching out to people on LinkedIn is just such low-hanging fruit to build your own personal Absolutely. experience because I just got coffee with somebody literally 30 minutes ago that was asking me how to, you know, they're in college, they don't know what to do with their lives. They're like, mm -hmm. what, do I, what should I do? And so I'm like, first of all, you need to figure out, you know, what you're interested in, then you need to get on LinkedIn and see who's doing it. Absolutely. And then reach out to them and say, hey, I'm interested in what you're doing. I'm trying to, you know, grow my career. I haven't really started yet. I would love to learn from you. And if somebody tells you no, and they're an entrepreneur or they're a business person, you know, they're not that good. Of, you know, they're probably not a great business person at the end of the day. <laughs> right, they're probably right. either too busy, which, you know, I get it. Sure. But even if you're busy, you're going to make time to help somebody else. Mm -hmm. So oh, yeah. I just tell people, you know, get on LinkedIn, ask people to meet and just talk with them. Don't be afraid to get a no, because the majority of time, if they're a good entrepreneur, they're always going to be willing to help and give back to the community and meet more people. That's that's so true. Right. Yeah. So it's just like LinkedIn is such a tool that is just 
not used enough. And I'm just amazed that, you know, you can graduate college in 2019, mm -hmm. 2020, and UK is not forcing these students to get a LinkedIn as part of a as part of their curriculum. You, you, uh, you'd almost think there, there should be a class in LinkedIn maybe. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's just such a big, important it's tool in the business world. Very, very much so. It's, um, uh, and, and, you know, you can actually, a lot of people will think, well, LinkedIn, if, they're, if they don't think it's a job site, they think, oh, well, it's just a way to sell something to somebody. And you, it's not about that. It's about the relationship, just, yeah. just like you were saying. And uh, you can, you'd be amazed at the people you can connect to that have really, really valuable, like you were saying, data and information, wisdom, uh, all of that, that, that are, are willing to share that. Yeah. And, and that's, that's a much, much more valuable resource to Absolutely. me than, than the money or anything else. And on LinkedIn, you have this whole data set of common interests or experience that you might share or experience that you want to get yourself. So mm -hmm. you can reach out and immediately start an easy conversation because you have all that information. And, you know, a perfect example is I knew somebody was connected with my dad and I reached out to him on LinkedIn and said, hey, you know, mm -hmm. we've got this common connection. My dad, you know, I'm from high school. Yeah. I am really interested in venture capital. I'm interested in startups. Can we get dinner sometime? We got dinner. You know, we've become friends. And he just called me the other night and said, hey, I've got two tickets to this UK game. Are you interested? Wow. So it's just like, you know, it doesn't, you know, I had no idea that would ever happen. I just reached out because I wanted to learn from him. And out mm -hmm. of that, you know, comes yeah. all these other scenarios. And it's true with business. You know, someday when I start my own business, he's going to be one of the first people I hit up and get experience from to grow it. And that's because I reached out to him on LinkedIn. One of the best things I, I heard about that, you know, just just reaching out and helping other people, and 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 I, I and actually I do this in a lot of the um, uh, the intros of most of my videos. I always say we we try to help you help other people uh, by taking innovation, mixing it with opportunity and sound wisdom uh, to turn them into real things like products and businesses. But then I always uh, try to add, and those people say thank you. Please continue helping us by giving you certificates of appreciation called dollar bills. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, and because it is, you're actually helping other people. Yeah. Yeah. People just don't, you know, if, if you help people, you're going to get it in return. Exactly. Some form, Absolutely. whether it's money, advice. Sometimes it's not money. Sometimes yeah. it's something much more valuable. Exactly. Yeah. Um, so we're getting towards the end of this and I always like, we always like to bring it back to Lexington and talk about sure. the city and this ecosystem. Um, so talk about your experience with this ecosystem and, uh, we're talking about the good and the bad, but just talk sure, about what, sure. what your favorite parts are about this ecosystem. Oh, I, I, I love, and, and we do, um, you know, we do meetings and workshops here in Lexington and we, we've done those since, you know, way before I was involved with the organization and just the people that come through my door. Uh, and, and we do, we do two types of meetings. We do a, a kind of an open meeting that we do on the first Tuesday of the month, but then we do this thing that's members only called a workshop and it's, it's, uh, members only. We all sign a closed non-disclosure agreement, so it's kind of a place where you can kind of go in and, and, and talk about, this is what I have, this is where I'm at, this is where I'm stuck. And the reason I'm bringing that up is that the synergy and the energy in the room is palpable. It is unbelievable. And I think a lot of that's due to large part to the, just the, type, the entrepreneurial uh, uh, ecosystem, the entrepreneurial uh, vibe that's in Lexington. You don't see this in a lot. You don't see this in bigger cities uh, that I, some of the bigger cities I've been to. Yeah. And I've, I've even seen this with some uh, other um, inventor, entrepreneur group leaders. Uh, there's a guy out in California I, I talked to quite a bit. And he had a group in a town about like Lexington. And it was a, just a really good group. And just, you know, uh, they, they had great meetings and they had a lot of people. And then he said, well, I want to go down to San Bernardino and repeat this because it's a bigger place. And he couldn't get anybody. And, and it, it, I, I, sometimes, you know, the, it's not the size, it, but it's, it's just the, it's the flavor of the community. Yeah. And, and, I, and, and Lexington, I think, in this state just really draw, does stand out for that. Yeah, we have had several guests on the podcast that point towards the fact that it's this, you know, southern hospitality, this friendliness that just comes with Kentucky. Everybody mm -hmm. seems to be pretty humble and willing yep. to help each other. Absolutely. And that definitely is, you know, one of the big themes that I love about Lexington. You know, after living in L.A. and everybody is, you know, this is a generalization, but mm -hmm. everybody sure. there seems to, to feel pretty self-centered. You know, everybody yeah. there is, yeah. you know, out to show them, show everybody who they are and whether right. it's acting or – you know, entrepreneurship, it's, it feels very different than Lexington. And I, it I, is, I've it noticed is. that 
pretty quickly. Um, just, you know, there's always, there's definitely good people in, yeah. in LA, yeah. without oh, a yeah. doubt. But the sure. general culture there right. is very, you know, what do I look like? What's, yeah. Yeah, what's very, my appearance? Exactly. You know, so Lexington just doesn't have that vibe, and I love that. Yeah. Um, what are some of the things that you think Lexington can improve on? Um, well, you know, I, I think every place can always improve on collaboration. Uh, and, and, that, and that's hard to do sometimes because, uh, you know, everybody's trying to work on, you know, they're on their own treadmills and they're, they're just they're pushing as hard as they can. And, you know, everybody can't uh, be everything to everybody all the time. But, uh, but, but I, I, I think we could, you know, we could work at that a little more probably. That would probably be good. Yeah, collaboration between. Give us some examples between what groups? Uh, uh, all all the groups basically. Yeah. Um, yeah. I had a I had a, a, a meeting last week with a guy that uh, runs a makerspace, and um, uh, he, he's now he's big on collaboration. Yeah. And and but it's just it's hard to hurt all those cats, I think. Yeah. So is it a not a, is there a lack of communication tools to speak to each other? Is it just the willingness to go out of your way and meet these other groups and collaborate? What let's try to you know dig into it a little bit. Sometimes it's just I think it's just time and energy. It's bandwidth. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I, I think a lot of times. Got it. Uh, you know, there's there's probably a lot of um, uh, people that I need to reach out to that I'm not. Uh, yeah. Just because, you know. Uh, it, Sometimes I say I have to. Ta- I take the own advice I give to business owners. I say, you know, if you do it all yourself, eventually you run out of you. Yeah. And uh, so that that happens. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, we've talked to several guests that have said, you know, there's not enough collaboration going on between the big corporations in town. Right. And the oh, startup community. Right. So that's an example point. I was maybe Ab- looking yeah, for. Absolutely. Uh, I, maybe I, the school and you know a certain part of the startup ecosystem. Because I think the school is starting yeah. to do a better job with yeah. the startup ecosystem. Right. Absolutely. Uh, schools are doing better. I think uh, companies could do a lot better. Yeah. Uh, I have heard there's a really, really good program going on in Cincinnati right now where they just kind of mastered that. Yeah. And I would love to see us to um, copy that here. Yeah. Yeah. We've had guests, you know, Wendy Lee from that built that. You know, a lot of that ecosystem in Cincinnati came on mm-hmm. and was talking about that. Yep. Uh, how important it is to have those big corporations ingrained yep. into the startups. Um so let's always end with, you know, where is Lexington heading? Forward-looking statement on what makes you optimistic about this city and where you see it going. I think we're, I think we're moving in the right direction. Uh, again, I think we kind of lead the way on uh, just, just the entrepreneur vibe in the city. I think there's more people in Lexington that uh, per capita maybe, and, you know, this is just, just my sort of my take on it. But I think there's more people that would consider being an entrepreneur than than maybe a lot of other places, both rural and and urban. And um, I'm not sure exactly why that is. Maybe you know I'd like to say it's uh, you know it's people like uh, the Inventors Network Kentucky and Awesome Inc. and you know mm-hmm. just a lot of other great organizations here in town that's that's uh, kind of help le- helping lead that. But um, uh, I, I think we're going in a good direction. I think if we just keep moving in that direction, uh, I, I, I think it'll be good for us. Yeah, I think it's all about awareness around entrepreneurship and bringing yep. more awareness so people know it's, yep. a, it's a viable path. And, and it circles back to the schools. Uh, yeah. uh, I, yeah. There was one elementary school I spoke at. Um, it's time for first and only time I ever spoke at an elementary school. I, you know, I've, I've spoke to adults big, big audiences of adults, and, and, uh, but I was never so uh, scared as I was talking to, uh, <laughs> you know, uh, uh, fifth graders. So um, the, uh, but I was talking to him, and I was talking to one of the teachers, and, and it was kind of neat. It was, a, it was a school where they had everybody in that elementary school had to come up with their own invention, and they had a big thing at the end, and you know, everybody got to display their invention, and um, so I, I, you know, and I got to talk to him. That was, that was, I just had a ball with that, but but anyway, I was talking to the teacher afterwards, and she and I asked her. I said, "I said, what is the biggest challenge that you all face now? Well, what's the hardest part of this? What's the biggest disconnect you see?" And she says, "Well, she says what I see is a lot of these kids will come to me with this invention that they built, and they look at me and they say, okay, now what do I do with it?'" And I'm thinking that's the big disconnect between the uh, the engineering, the STEM education, the uh, uh, they let, let me learn how to build this and make something cool to the 
entrepreneurship piece of it. And I yeah. think I think education. I think I think you hit the nail on the head with that. Yeah, that's, I think that's education in general, whether it's entrepreneurship or not. Right. This is just my personal experience. When I went through UK, um, and I talked to friends, like, again, I got coffee with somebody today who's about to graduate. And while you might have a degree and you might have gone to class and you might have learned in class, you know, I just don't think college does a great job of preparing you for the real world right. in a lot of aspects. So it's like yeah. it's not only preparing you to take that next step for entrepreneurship, mm-hmm. but I think schools really got to examine and talk about you know, how we actually can prepare these people for the real world. Yeah, uh, They've got to really start forcing people to clubs. They've got to mm-hmm. really start forcing people to network in the community. Absolutely. You know, they can't just keep throwing tests at these people and expect right. them to graduate and be ready for the real world because right. those yeah. have absolutely nothing to do with the real world. Right. And that's one of the things that really upset me about college. But I think it's getting – I can tell that it's getting better, especially in the startup mm-hmm. space because they're trying to mix – you know, Warren Nash and a lot of people yep. there at the university are yep. doing a great job War- with that. Warren does a great job. Um, yeah, but I'm that's one of the <coughs> things that pisses me off about school the most mm-hmm. is just it doesn't, I don't think, prepare you for the real world. Yeah, I've got uh, something to say about that. So shout out to Dr. Walcott, who yep. made a bunch of his students sign up for Startup Weekend. And I had a really cool conversation with one of his students. Uh, kind of as we were cleaning up yesterday, I was like, yeah, how'd you enjoy it? Did you learn anything? He's like, man, yeah, I'll tell you. Uh, I came into this and I was like, God, I got to spend a whole weekend doing something for a class and he said i came into the came into it with uh with that attitude on friday and then after leaving friday night i was like shit i, I want to be back inside like, I, I, i'm so excited about this and you know he, he opened talking, up a whole new yeah, world yeah you, and it? you know it's it's getting experiences so like cool. that and again shout out to startup weekend for facilitating such an awesome experience like that but you know they were the table that sat right behind us actually and uh, the whole time they're engaged you know and they made it fun they had college football playing in the background while they were working oh, wow. and all this great stuff. Their pitch was awesome. So, um, yeah, I mean, yeah. His, his name was Andrew. So shout out Andrew if you're listening cool, to this. But yeah, cool. I'm I'm glad they had such an go awesome Andrew. time. Yeah, yeah. go Andrew. <laughs> go I mean, Doctor Walcott. They're not there memorizing phrases and equations for a test. They're right. sitting there getting their hands dirty and that's yeah designing yeah. an interface or 3D printing something. Right. So it's yeah. like and that's learning the real life. School's got to figure out how to do that yep. and scale that. Absolutely. I know it's hard. I get it. I've ta- yeah. I have a lot of friends that are in higher education that yeah. have said Evan stop talking so much shit about the education system <laughs> on your podcast i'm like i'll try and i am i'm trying to do better with that and i get the challenges but like i'm just going to keep like you know trying to push the envelope so uh, i think yeah. that needs to be that needs yeah. to happen yeah one last thing about that that story that's what andrew said kind of at the at the end is like man the the vibe here is great and i feel like i'm learning so much more because i don't have this pressure of oh i've got to get up and give a presentation for a grade you know, you just yep. you just totally let yourself relax a little bit, and right. yeah, it's public speaking, and there's going to be that level of nervousness sure. when you're not knowing that oh, I'm being judged, I'm going to get a grade on this, and then you know, there's so many different emotions tied into what kind of grades you make. It's just a really cool thing to let that all go, and then mm-hmm. once you move that, remove that layer of it, the learnings that can happen. <laughs> yeah, honestly, Absolutely. my biggest nightmares. You know, all of the nightmares I could be having, <laughs> my nightmares, the worst ones, are the ones that I've got me back in school and I've got a test the next day that I didn't study for. <laughs> it's like the worst nightmares that I wake up yeah. from, to be honest. Uh, Don, thanks for joining, man. It's been well, awesome having this discussion. I think you know most of our audience or most of our guests this far have been a lot of software, a lot of um, you know technology, and I think it's good to talk about you know what if you have a physical product and how do you you know go about starting that. So you know thanks for joining. Fantastic. Thank you.